Now we're going to look this morning for a little while at uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6. Very interesting chapter. And uh, it speaks very powerfully of Jesus, of course. And uh, Jesus is the one who we come to worship and uh, who we serve and who we follow as believers. And uh, what I want to do today uh, briefly is uh, ask an important question, which I think uh, is for people who are uncommitted to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but also to us as Christians uh, in our lives to think about uh, our relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, how that relationship or how that lordship works itself out in our lives. And I'm wondering whether uh, sometimes we need to ask the question whether we have a turning point uh, for Jesus Christ, whether there's a place uh, beyond which uh, we don't allow Jesus Christ to have lordship in our lives. Is there a Rubicon that we don't cross in regard to a relationship with Christ? And I think increasingly that's becoming an issue for uh, Christians and the Christian church when so much of the society in which we live is um, uh, in terms of legislation and in terms of uh, its moral compass uh, moving away from uh, a traditional orthodox uh, morality and understanding uh, of life, really. And so we may be challenged greatly uh, with our uh, Christian faith, our ethical standing, and our moral standing as Christians. Uh, and it may be that we're tempted sometimes uh, to go so far with Jesus Christ and uh, go no further and allow him not that place of lordship. So what I want to do just for a moment is uh, think about what Jesus says here and uh, the reaction to some of what Jesus said uh, in this chapter, because it's quite a provocative chapter. He uses very provocative language and illustrations and pictures here. Uh, so firstly, just to look at uh, Jesus as he describes himself here, particularly in verse 35, which in, a, in many ways is the theme of the whole uh, chapter where he says, where he declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And uh, it's great, isn't it? Because Jesus is um, latching on to the discussions that are being had or the discussions or the conversation or the thought process that has already been uh, had uh, with regard to manna uh, and the manna that came down from heaven, which the Jewish people to whom he was speaking all knew about because that was the miraculous provision of God for the people in the desert, wasn't it? It was the bread that they got. It was the manna came down from heaven and it was to feed them. And so he, he latched onto that picture and uh, he used that picture to say, well, I am the kind of fulfillment of that manna. I, I am God's manna. I am the bread of life. I've come not just to give, not to give physical sustenance uh, miraculously as uh, the uh, people of God received in the Old Testament in the desert, but I've come to give spiritual life and eternal life. And I like, isn't that great? I like that Jesus uses pictures. He uses simple pictures to get profound truth across. I like that. I'm a simple person. I like pictures. I don't like books that are full of words. I like books with pictures in them. So theology books really should have pictures in them. And then I'd read them more. Uh, and it's a great thing to have pictures. Uh, because we've, we've, so, some of us are very visual people. And uh, much of what we do and much of how we communicate is verbal, isn't it? And yet even within the verbal communication, we can be visual 
and we can encourage the imagination to think, as Jesus was doing, to consider um, in pictorial form the truth that he was getting across. Wonderful reality. Jesus says he's the bread of life who has come down from heaven. Verse 38, I am the bread of life and I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's come to establish his kingdom. And as as citizens today, we still belong to that kingdom. We recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because of his finished work on the cross, because of what he achieved on the cross and because he rose triumphant over the grave, defeating sin, ascended to the right hand of the Father. So today we worship him. Um, and that doesn't change. It doesn't change with uh, the secularization of society. It doesn't change with the advance of science. It doesn't change with anything around us. And we come, and one of the great things about the gospel and the, the message and the word is we're always coming back to the unchanging truths. We focus, we fix our lives, our hearts. We put our feet firmly in the ground of an unchanging Savior. And that is a great relief and a great release. We don't need to convocate and and meet all over the place and decide to change the gospel. We don't need to modernize it or adapt it or bring it into thinking uh, that uh, equips or equates with 21st century thinking because it's eternal truth. And Jesus claims to be the one who uh, reveals truth as the bread of life, offering not physical sustenance in this instance, but eternal life. My Father's will, in verse 40, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes on him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I love the fact that he says, uh, what work are we to do? The Jews ask, what work are we to do? How can we do work for Jesus to earn his favor? How can we please God? And Jesus said, the work that the Father asks you to do is to believe in me. Isn't that great? That is the work of faith, that we are to trust in him. Now, Jesus Christ is the one who is uh, the bread of life, as we are made clear in this passage. The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. That is uh, the one who's the bread of life. And, uh, and again, that's a, a good picture for us. The manna uh, uh, wasn't bread as such. It was God's miraculous food. But bread, I think in most societies and even for ourselves, is still recognized and seen as basic nourishment. It's the symbol that's used that we will cel- use with tonight when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he goes on to, uh, to link that uh, sacrament when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And uh, it's that reality that the basic food of life, physically, is the picture he uses for himself as the one who will give us spiritual nourishment and the spiritual food and uh, the uh, uh, energy and the life that we need. And that's the great uh, reality that we need to remember in our lives. Uh, even if practically you don't have toast every morning for breakfast, uh, it's a fairly good analogy uh, that we take bread, uh, the basic of food, uh, every day. And so as believers, we recognize our daily dependence 
on Jesus Christ to nourish us, to feed us, and to give us spiritual life. He is uh, uh, our life. And the Holy Spirit, to change the analogies, the breath that we breathe, the oxygen that we breathe, enabling us to live. And so he goes on not just to call to speak of himself as the bread of life, which is hugely significant, but also uh, in many ways to describe himself in very uh, graphic terms and very unacceptable terms as broken bread. He uh, goes on to speak about uh, uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, this living bread that comes down from heaven from verse uh, 53 onwards. I tell you the truth, unless... You can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Grotesque language. Of course. But he is carrying forward this illustration, this picture. It's not literal what he's saying. It may have been taken literally by some uh, as it was written and and caused great offense. But he is continuing to speak spiritually and symbolically for us, pointing forward to the kind of death he would die and the substitutionary uh, effectiveness of that death. That is, it was something that his brokenness would uh, bring our healing and would give us healing in our lives as we trust in him. He's pointing forward to the fact that this Savior, this Jesus Christ, was, was to be a suffering Savior. He is laying the ground for the disciples preparing them for his crucifixion which was to come in the plan of God and we know we've seen that haven't we before we looked at the work and life of the person and the uh, the work of Christ how everything was pointing forward to this death on the cross this shedding of uh, his own blood which was so significant and so important and uh, led to the ascension finally after the resurrection of the son of man which he speaks about in verse 62 you haven't seen nothing yet. Jesus is saying there's more to come. And uh, there would be this ongoing revelation of a Savior who had come to rescue, to redeem, to buy back, to heal, and to save his people. It's broken bread. But also, uh, he is holy bread. And verse 69, the disciples, uh, Simon Peter particularly, uh, says, we believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. And this Christ, this Savior, this uh, nourishing Redeemer that we have, is also holy. He's separate. He's perfect. He's the source of life and the source of purity and uh, the source of uh, uh, righteousness. And as the source of these things, he remains the unchanging Redeemer. And he is the one who this morning knows and understands our hearts and knows our relationship or not with him and knows what our need is because he has come into the furnace of our own dirt and he has come in his purity and in his perfection to die in our place and to redeem us from our sins. So that's the picture that we have of Jesus Christ here very briefly. He is this holy son of God who is 
uh, or is to become or was to become broken, uh, but uh, was the bread of life. Now, that remains unchanging for all of you and for all of us, that uh, his claims remain no different. We need to invoke our spiritual imagination today and consider our need of him as our bread, the bread of life for us. You know, he's not a... a, uh, one who offers himself as uh, some kind of specialist food that we uh, partake in now and again as a treat. He is the bread of life. He's, he's what we need to survive. If you've come on the back of a week or a month of uh, silence before him as a Christian, if we haven't cried out to him, if there hasn't been any sense of need or hunger uh, or uh, appetite spiritually for him, then we are misunderstanding the nature of the relationship we're to have with him. Because he says he's the bread of life, that we need him, that he offers us eternal life, and he wants that ongoing relationship with us. And so we find in this chapter interesting responses, don't we? And uh, interesting terminology in the living word of God, because there are really two responses here to the claims of Jesus. The first come from his disciples in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And many of them from this point on turned away from him and didn't return uh, to him. From verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and followed him no longer. That's a problem for us, is it not? These are his disciples, but they turn away from him and don't follow him anymore. So what does it mean that they're his disciples? What is the terminology speaking of? Well, we know it's not the 12, because we have uh, the 12 in verse 67 answering differently. Jesus turns away from his disciples, turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave me as well? Are you going to turn away? So there's a, Jesus makes the differentiation between the two groups of people. And it would seem uh, that there was a wider group of people who followed uh, alongside Jesus and who uh, associated with him as a teacher student would. Uh, they followed his they, they enjoyed what he had to say. They were inquisitive. They quite liked listening to Jesus. He was an attractive personality. And what's more, he did miracles. And sometimes they might even have got a loaf of bread off him and some fish. Maybe we'd have seen him walking in water or something dramatic or something special. So they liked hanging around Jesus because it was good to hang around Jesus. They uh, were, uh, just enjoyed what he had to say, but they were uncommitted to him. Jesus himself says earlier, you know, that's why some of you still haven't believed. So Jesus knows their hearts. And although they're called his disciples, his followers, as it were, They weren't genuinely believers and and those who trusted in his lordship and in his uh, savior credentials, could we say. They were uncommitted. And here, as we go towards the cross, Jesus testing their allegiance more and more. Uh, And so he throws out this uh, rather revolting and strong picture of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Picture, uh, illustration, illustration. following through from him, describing himself as the bread of life. But they didn't accept that teaching. They didn't like what he had to say about coming down from heaven. This is Joseph's son. He's just a punter who happens to have a lot of gifts. 
Who is he? What right? What is he talking about? Associating himself with manna and with uh, provision from God and uh, with eternal life and the author of eternal life. Is he a liar? He's a lunatic or he's Lord? You know, the old uh, uh, challenge uh, that we talk about when we talk about responding to Jesus. Uh, these were those who went back uh, to the things they'd left behind. That's really what verse 66 uh, means. They didn't follow him any longer. They went back to the things they'd left behind. They weren't genuinely his disciples. They were inquisitive. They were hanging around Jesus. They uh, kept the company of believers, but they weren't genuinely Christ. When the hard sayings began to uh, hit, then uh, they were unwilling to trust him and unwilling to follow through his teaching uh, about their own need. And I would argue there's always a turning point for you and for me, at least the temptation of one. There's always a time in our lives, and there may be several times every week, that there's a Rubicon where we say, I'm going to cross this because Jesus as Christ is my Lord. Or we maybe say, this is a hard teaching. I'm not going to follow him anymore. And that's a, a, a challenge to us because sometimes we have Christ in this little box, don't we? It's nice and it's, it's got lovely uh, uh, wrapping and it's got a big bow on it and it's pretty. And that's where Christ is for us. He's just a nice guy. He's our imaginary friend that we just wheel out and that we come alongside us and we're struggling. We, we hope spiritually, we use our imagination, we hope spiritually he rubs our back and he gives us a good time because that's who Jesus is. He's Mr. Nice Guy. He's the friendly. He's our, my lucky charm. But what we find in the Gospels is this great and glorious and good and loving and uh, attractive Savior is also the one whose eyes are piercing into our souls and who says, look, I see your heart and I see you are in grave danger of being lost eternally unless you come to me for repentance and stay close to me and eat me and drink my blood spiritually speaking, that we take him as our Lord and Master and uh, we recognize that he's the one who will all, as long as we live, and the longer we're living here in Scotland, 21st century, secular Edinburgh, the more we will find it challenging to follow Jesus Christ and the more Rubicons we will be tempted not to cross. Because his morality, his teaching, his lordship, his glory, his strength are not what this world wants to hear. And this world wants something completely different. And so the danger or the challenge for us is to just turn our backs and say, well, these are hard sayings. And we don't believe anymore. We can't follow this guy. I'm going to go back to what I left behind. And yet this Savior has the words of eternal life. You know, no one else makes that claim. No one can make that claim. His death and resurrection on the cross remain absolutely crucial and foundational to keep us on that path. Nothing else will. A trendy, happy, young church will not do it. A fantastic, someone else, minister, will not do it. Nothing else will do it. Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
Great friends will remain with you here in the church, but that will not keep you from crossing that. Even if it's a, a, an unseen Rubicon that no one else sees, and you will continue to be part of the church, and you'll continue to take communion, but in your heart of hearts, he is no longer Lord. He is no longer God. And the question that is... Uh, Begging to be asked from a chapter like this for all of us is again, on whose terms do we believe? Is it on our own terms that we believe? Is it merely intellectual? Is it as long as it uh, accords with modern science or modern philosophical thinking? Or are we those who have come to terms with a Christ who rips us apart from the inside out and is renewing us there and making us whole? And dealing with the sin which uh, deceives us and and, and takes us away from him. This is uh, the great reality and challenge of the gospel is that the faith in Jesus Christ requires, it does require turning round. But not the kind of turning round here that was going back to what they left behind. It's a turning towards him. That's what it is. It's It's in repentance and in our very being. And we don't move from that, you know. There's some people here who have been Christians for 50 and 60 years. They don't cease to be repentant Christians. They are constantly, and we are constantly turning back to the living God uh, uh, because his face shines with grace and with love. And he never turns us away, you know. He never says, well, I'm tired that you keep coming back to me. Uh, you know, you've had you know, three strikes... 30 strikes, it should be time you're out now. It's not like that with Jesus. It's like that with us. If someone keeps coming back to me, I'm going to say, well, you know, I've tried. I've given my best. But Jesus Christ is not like that. He says, "I I know what you're like. And I simply want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I simply want you to put your trust in me, to eat, to be nourished by me, to come to me for forgiveness and for life and for glorious uh, hope and a future. And so I guess a, cha- a chapter like this does challenge us to commitment. Um, for those who are parents here, it uh, is a great reminder, uh, and we'll be baptizing uh, children shortly. Uh, the Brocks and the Coles will be coming forward, and uh, you know, they have to think of, the, of their own children. And we have to think of our own children growing up in this hellish world that we live in. And we have to give them a foundation that is unchanging. We have to point them to Jesus Christ and remind them that he is Lord and he is God. And it's not a game. And that this is the bread of life and it's eternal life. You know, it's a great challenge. And it's a great challenge for all of us because we're all part of it. You will all take vows shortly or... You will make an ascent, answer a question that you will pray for and uh, that you will support the work of uh, the gospel, but, but through the families that you will pray for the children. And that's not just for the children, it's, it's for all of us, that we'll pray for one another, we'll support one another, that we will help one another uh, with the gospel and with remaining close to this foundation. We're not fighting one another. We're not disinterested in one another. We are a people who desperately seek the bread of life and we're all coming to the same place and this evening will be just luxurious as we sit at the Lord's table together it's it's because we need him 
And we need to sit together with him and feed on him spiritually and be blessed uh, because of that. Uh, Commitment and commitment to Jesus Christ. I can't go beyond committing myself to Christ. It's something no one else can do for you. Uh, You must make that stand as believers, and and I must. And then lastly, and very briefly before we finish, uh, we see the reaction of the, the disciples who are his disciples, who were loose followers, but then we also have the response of the the 12 uh, spoken of uh, by the representative Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that a great response of faith? With limited knowledge and insight, although he was with Jesus, he hadn't yet seen all the things that we see by faith uh, through the word of God completed. Great response. Whenever you're tempted to give up, when you wonder about the hard sayings of Jesus and about the toughness of being a Christian, of going against the grain that everyone else is going with, then these are great words to memorize, aren't they? To whom, to whom could we go? You know, who else? Who else loves us like Jesus Christ? Who else redeems us? Who else has transformed us who releases us, who knows us, who has accepted us as we've turned to him. There's nobody. There's no one to whom we can turn. Uh, He is the only savior that there is, and he is the one who offers eternal life. Come to me. I will raise you up. I will look after you. I will love you. That's what he says. And we are to trust in him. Against all the odds, we're to trust in him and deal with that deep-seated rebellion that makes us want to go our own way and sometimes reacts against the teaching and the uh, message of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. It may be that each of us uh, are able to say, to whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. And may that be the anthem that you take with you into this week. And may it be something that reminds us of our dear friends and family members who don't know Jesus Christ, that we would long for them to share that same um, testimony in their lives. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, enliven us, uh, that you would empower us and that you would uh, help us to persevere as Christians. May we not be content with being on the edges of commitment or in the draft of your company at a broad level, like the disciples uh, who turned away from you were. But may we believe in our hearts and be committed to you wholeheartedly. Lord, we again, again we pray for the city uh, that we love, and we pray for a powerful uh, movement of your spirit, Uh, for uh, the good of every individual that we know and love and don't know in this uh, lost and broken city. We pray for this world of which we're a part with its confused sexuality and the ongoing and brutal violence of ISIS, uh, the terrible tragedies that we've seen over this week. Um, And uh, we pray that... uh, somehow uh, these dark events would uh, remind us of uh, uh, 
the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We remember the crisis, economic crisis in a country like Greece also, and uh, the terrible cost to ordinary people while politicians sit in uh, bright rooms and discuss it all theoretically. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us strength and love. We pray that you would bless us as we move to the baptisms uh, at this point and uh, that you would bless uh, the Coles and the Brocks as they bring their children uh, to us. And uh, we pray for them in their lives and uh, in their families when they're so far from their own homes also. Thank you for having uh, young Christopher with us today. We pray your blessing on him and uh, pray that uh, he would grow up strong and well. Remember us all as individuals and as uh, people. We thank you for all that we are and all that we are able to be. We thank you for the building today that we're able to worship in that has been restored from the outside. Uh, We know that that is not a spiritual thing, but we know it's a practical help. And we thank you that the provision has been made. Bless us, we pray, and may it be a building used for your glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. For Jesus' sake, amen.